We're going to be over in 1 Kings chapter 22 here this morning. There's a story of a woman who was driving through a ter- tremendous snowstorm up in Denver. You know, Denver can get some nasty snow. And it was she had to be where she was going. She didn't really have any choice. She got caught in this thing, and she was driving along, and this snow just kept picking up. It was getting heavier and heavier and stronger and stronger. And she found a snowplow, and she decided, I'm just going to get behind the snowplow. I'm going to try to do that, get behind the snowplow, and even though they go a little slower than you, but you're at least on roads that are plowed. So she got behind this snowplow, and this snowplow was just going direction, and so she was uh, content just to go at the speed that the snowplow was going and just to head in a direction. And this continued on for a little while until finally the snowplow stopped. And the driver got out of the, the snowplow, and he came on back to the lady, and he said, Lady, where, where are you going to? And she said, Well, I'm on my way to Denver. And she said, Well, you won't get there. He said, You won't get there following me. I have to plow this parking lot. Sometimes we want to get direction and we follow the wrong source. We follow the wrong thing. And the reason we're not getting where we want to go is because we're not following the right thing. We're going to take a look at this because this is one of those things that you can ask God for and that is direction. How many right now can say that there's something in your life you need direction for? We need direction for. We're going to look at some things in the area of direction. And in First Kings, I was, you know, this, this is a, whenever I, I meditate on these things, I finally give me an image, give me a picture. Someone in the Bible that went through these kind of things. And as we're talking about some of the areas of asking, this is the one that came up to me for today. And so I'm going over this and said, Father, I, you know, I just think we've, we've gone over this uh, a few times in recent history. So I was kind of discouraged on that and I was, coming in here looking for another direction this morning. <laughs> and so kept coming back to this one. So I just, I said, I'm just going to look this up. So I looked it up on the computer like I like to try and do. And I found out it has been about two years since we last went over this fully. Even though I, I'm, I'm sure I must have referred to it sometime because I have a much, much more recent memory of that. And I believe that time two years ago was in a Wednesday night service, which most of you aren't here for So we're going, to, we're going to delve into this. First Kings chapter 22. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. And then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, this is Ahab, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Now look at the order in which King Jehoshaphat did this. He was asked if he would go in the direction that the king of Ahab was going. Now the king of Ahab is not a God-fearing king. Ahab, we find some things. He goes back and forth between serving God and, or worshiping God and, and worshiping the Baals. Every once in a while, he pops back in there and starts worshiping God. Uh, he repents and so forth. And not too long before this, he had just repented of some things before God and was going back after God for just a little while. But, of course, it never stayed all that well, all that strong. He just continued to go on his, his own way. And so we get to this part, this part in Jehoshaphat. Because he is part of Israel, comes on over there and he, he hangs out with them. And he says, uh, how about we go and we take some land? It's supposed to be ours anyway. Let's go on down and take it. And so he says, I'll go with you. 
My, my people are as your people. My horses are as your horses. And then after that, he says, let's seek the Lord. Now, what order do you think those things should have happened? We should seek the Lord first before we commit ourselves. But he committed himself first and then he sought the Lord. That's more of a, of a pattern that says, Lord, bless the plans that I want to do. Instead of, Father God, what plans do you have for me? And following after those. But this is the direction that he went. This is not a good direction to go. First off, Jehoshaphat shouldn't be a buddy with this guy. Now, we're not telling you. The Word of God never tells you don't be friends with the world. Don't have friends that are in the world. But your closest friends need to be believers. And believers who will push you on to go into the things of God. You can still have people out there in the world, but that's where your true fellowship needs to happen. Otherwise, their traits are going to rub off and become your traits. So he commits his resources. He commits himself to this before he should. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hands of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there still not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. So he says, he hears all these 400 prophets. He asked for a prophet of the Lord, and they bring in 400 of them. And he's listening to them, and it just seems like Jehoshaphat, down in the spirit, says, this, this isn't right, this isn't God. They may say they're of God, they may say they're Jehosh- uh, Jehovah, but something's not right. See, just because people say that they're Christians doesn't mean they serve the same God you do. You've got to get that inner witness that comes up that says, oh, I can tell this person. You can tell that with people that you don't even know yet. You just see them in line. You can say, oh, the, I, that, that person is a believer. That person's a believer. Trust that. So whatever it was that clued Jehoshaphat in to the fact that this was not the right thing. This is not what he asked for. And so he asked for one of the prophets of the Lord. And so Micaiah is mentioned. And apparently Ahab knows what he's talking about. I think that's amazing. He first off brings in the 400. He asked for a prophet of Jehovah. And he says, well, I got one more. And uh, I don't bring him in because he doesn't say very good things for me. So apparently there's the 400 who say one thing. And then there's Micaiah who says others. Now, it's not just Micaiah. How many of you know that there's other prophets we have names of in the word of God that are around the time of Ahab? (laughs) Some very, very prominent ones. But that's the one we're talking about here. I mean, Elijah is not one you can just call on and say, hey, come on in here and confirm the word for us. Elijah shows up when God tells him to show up, and that's it. You do not call Elijah. If you do, you might have fire come down, burn you up. He, does not, he is not a prophet who is called upon. No, Elisha was. Elisha, you can call upon Elisha. Hey, Elisha, what's going on? Can you come over here and help us out? Sure, you know, you come on over. You can go over and see Elisha. But not with Elijah. Elijah, nope. If God gives me something, I'll come over and give it to you whether you want it or not. But if you want to hear from God, don't come to me. Go to God. If God has something for you, he'll tell me. 
That's his, his viewpoint of it. So he's probably not even in the consideration of Ahab to call him. Besides that, if you don't want to be found, you aren't finding him. So don't think that he's the only one around. He's just probably the one they have access to and can go out there and to, and to get. So we have this, I put this in your outline for you, three years after Ahab's great repentance. And Ahab cannot discern between what is false and what is true. Three years after Ahab's great repentance. And Ahab cannot discern between what is false and what is true. Jehoshaphat can. He can discern this is false. I want something that's true. But Ahab cannot do it. Three years he had his great repentance. Remember it says three years after this. Three years he had his great repentance and he cannot discern that. He can't quite get this. I put this in your outline for you. And this is an important principle for you to get down. We bring on our own calamity when we don't do what is necessary for growth. We bring on our own calamity when we don't do what is necessary for growth. If you sit there and do not put the time in for the things you need to do to grow spiritually, you will suffer. You will put yourselves in positions for calamity that you should never have been in and then go to God and ask for God for deliverance. Ahab had three years to be growing in the Lord to be able to discern some things and he did not grow at all, it would seem. I pulled out some things. I like some of these, uh, these sayings here. The difference between obedience and performance. Obedience is seeking God with your whole heart. Performance is having quiet time because you feel guilty if you don't. Obedience is finding ways to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Performance is quickly scanning a passage so you can check it off your Bible reading plan. Obedience is saying yes to whatever God asks of you. Performance is saying yes to whatever people ask of you. Obedience springs from fear of God. Performance springs from fear of, fear of failure. Make sure we're not out here to perform. We're out here to, to obey. You obey the things that God says, you will grow. If you're just out here to perform, you won't. We've got to make sure we're doing the right things. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your fathers and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I switched the spots here. Second Kings 3. 2 Kings 3.13. Listen to this from Elisha. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to your prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three, things, these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played and the hand of the Lord came upon him. He said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. And that's uh, the word that it came to Elisha. There's some things to do. They came to him for, for direction. He said, If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, your direction wouldn't really concern me. And yet they're children of Israel. At least some of them. Alright, 1 Kings 22, verse 9. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. 
Then the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne, a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chaniah, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these ye shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So this guy even goes out and makes props. I mean, if you got props, certainly the word of God is true. At least that's what some people like to go with. Just because somebody comes and prophesies to you and they have props, they have little things in their hands to try and show you how serious they are about the word that God has for you, does not mean that it is true. Then the messenger who had been called, who had gone to call Micaiah, spoke to him saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Can you imagine that? You want to hear what the word of God is. That's what you send for him. We want to hear what the word of God is. But please let the word of God be along this line. Now, we may not come out and say that, but if we get a direction from God that's contrary to what we want to do, how many of us are questioning? Well, I wonder if that's God. I was kind of thinking that if it was God, it was going to be more along this line. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Look at the words that he says there, folks. As the Lord, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. That means the words that come out of his mouth, every single one of them is going to be the words that God told him to speak. He's declaring that right here. Then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? Now it's kind of odd to me that Ahab is the guy who's directing this. He called for him. I guess it's in his kingdom. But Jehoshaphat is the one who wanted the word from the Lord. Ahab was satisfied with the words he already has. Jehoshaphat is not. He's the one who wants it. Why doesn't Jehoshaphat stand up and say, tell me the word of the Lord? But it's Ahab who does. And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, what were the words of Micaiah? As the Lord lives... Whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Is the direction that the kings are going to go a direction for which the Lord would say, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king? You know the end of the story of this. Is that something that would come from God since you know the end of the story? No. Because we know that God's purpose was to lead Ahab in the battle so that he would die. And the battle would be lost. So if God knows that the battle is going to be lost, and Micaiah says, I'm only going to say what the Lord of God, what the Lord God tells me, either Micaiah inserted something else before he would tell them what the Lord of God would say, or the Lord told him to say this. Why would the Lord tell Micaiah to say what he says? Go and prosper. 
for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Why would the Lord tell Micaiah, a prophet of God, to say something that was false? How many of you that would stretch your doctrine a little bit? That God would say to someone something that is false. Now, we've talked about this before. He may have said it with some sarcasm. He may have said it in such a way that uh, would lend you to believe it's not true. I don't know. We can't pick all that up from the written word. You have to kind of be there to hear it. And we're not. So all we have is what they tell us about it. Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? There's two ways to read this. One, that he's showing off for Jehoshaphat. Or two, that Micaiah has said things before that were not the true word of the Lord. And yet he's considered to be a prophet of the Lord. Why would a prophet of the Lord not say what the Lord said at least the true part. Why would he do this? Hold that thought. Hold that question until we get through here. Verse 17. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, They have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Now all he said was, he didn't say anybody was dying. He just said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like they had no shepherd. Now he's reading into all that. That means they have no king, they have no general, they're all, they've lost the battle. That's probably what's, what he sees. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Good, he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? In other words, the word of the Lord that came to him before had been evil about Ahab. Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by, and on his right hand, and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead. So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, that's a difficult passage for a lot of people in a lot of places where we come from. And a lot of times we just avoid this chapter because I don't understand it. How is it that God can have evil spirits that he says, go and do this, and they did his purpose? How is it that that's possible? How is it that God could do that? Why would God do that? Why would God desire to bring harm upon, upon someone? Now, if you have a problem with the... With the um, evil spirits being in heaven. In fact, I think we read it there. I kind of just skipped over it. 
should have spent more more time on it. Um, we go back over to verse 19. Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting in a stone, and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. All the host of heaven. Now, in your outline, I wrote down for you four different references to the host of heaven. You can go look them up on your own and check them out. I'm not going to spend time on that here. The host of heaven, when it's referred to in the Word of God, does not refer to a host of good. But we hear that phrase, the host of heaven. How many of us think, oh, this is great. This is a bunch of angels and things like that. The host of heaven in the Word of God does not refer to a good group of people. It refers to a bad group of people. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you what, Daryl, pull up one of them. I'm seeing some puzzled looks around. Pull up the first one. I don't care which one. Just pull, pull out one of them. And we'll just uh, read it because I didn't put them in. I wasn't planning on going in that direction. Be not, beloved, <laughs> beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out in the world. Not the one I wanted. Not your fault, mine. Go to the next one. We'll show you where it is in the Word of God so you just don't take my word for it. You actually see this. This part of it. Which one we got there for the second one? But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. A distressing what? From where? From the Lord. Now, we've heard of this before, that the Hebrews believed that God didn't stop something, that God caused it. But this is actually a spirit. It says it went out from the presence of God. Go on to the third one. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. I will also cause the prophets and unclean spirit to depart from the land. In the land there are unclean prophets and spirits. And for right now, doesn't it seem like he's tolerating them to be in there? That he is allowing the unclean spirits and the unclean prophets to be in there? Last one, pull up the last one. Now, some of the elders of Israel came... To, not, that's not even the right one. Huh. I don't know where I was supposed to be doing that one. Must have left off a, a number. Uh, that's probably the one that has our host of heaven there. But if you look it up, just do your, use your concordance. Go for the host of heaven. But what I want you to see in these scriptures is that, first off, there are evil spirits in the presence of God. Right now, at this very moment, Satan has access to heaven. He will lose access of heaven midway through the tribulation. If you've been out in the Revelation class, if you've been out in the, the um, end times series we've been doing on the uh, after church classes, you'll see, you, you've already seen, that halfway through the tribulation is when he's kicked out. All his host, all his group, they're all cast out, gone. But up until then, they have access. Satan right now has access into heaven, which would mean if they, if they have access, who does access to heaven benefit? Think of it this way, folks. Who has access to your home? Do you give access to your home to people who will steal and pillage your house? Do you give access to your home to people that can help you or in some way benefit you? 
I'll give you a, case, a couple of cases and points. You all know at home I have a reef tank. A reef tank is not like a normal fish tank. A reef tank you cannot just go, well, maybe, maybe 24 hours you can go, but just about every day you have to do something in that reef tank. Mostly you've got to feed the fish, but beside that you've got to put water in to keep everything running. You've got to check a couple of parameters, not every day, but every so often. So if we go away for more than a day, I have to give someone access to my home to come in and to, uh, and to feed the fish and to check the water and to do all these different things that are, that are going on. Otherwise, the whole thing will collapse and, and go down and it goes down very quickly. And it's not a good thing. So if I'm going to give access to the, the home, it's going to be someone who benefits me. Now, I had a guy who's a friend of mine, Jim. I met him at, a, at one of the pet stores that I was buying stuff from. And even after he left the pet store, we stayed in touch. And uh, he would be the guy. He'd be my go-to guy. I called Jim. Jim, come on over. And Jim would come on over, and he would uh, take care of the fish tank. He used to run a, a place called Pet Shack in the, uh, in the place I used to get stuff from. And, uh, anyway, that kind of went away. But he was still available to me, so I'd send him a text message. Hey, I'm going to be away. Can you help out? And so one time, um, he didn't reply. He stopped replying. I knew he was trying to get into another line of work. And I guess he got it because he never replied to me anymore. <laughs> never got to, to have him. So I was in a, in a state of, you know, I, I was going to be gone for two days or whatever, three days. And I knew someone had to come in and take care of the tank. And so we went on down to, uh, to a different fish store. And I said, do you know people who will take care of the, the fish? And they gave me three people in there. And I looked at those three people and I said, well, Father God, I want to know who's a good one. And it's not like any of them are going to be bad. I'm not expecting that the three that they're giving me, that any of them are bad. I'm expecting all three are good. I'm saying, Father God, lead me to the one who's going to do us the, the best help. And so I picked out the one, and it was a, a lady, and I, I called her up, didn't get her. She called me right back a little, little while later, and she says, hey, uh, what area are you from? I told her, I said, oh, you are close by my house even. I can stop by and take care of them on the way home because I had given her about 24 hours notice of the time we would be leaving, or maybe 48 and so we were able to get her in there. Just met her. Just met her. She came on over, met my wife, met me, showed her the tanks, showed her all the different stuff, and gave her a key to our house that while we were gone, she would have access to it. Now, how many of you are in the habit of giving your key to people you just meet for the first time? Here, here's the key to my house. <laughs> we don't do that, do we? The only reason that you do it is because there is benefit in it for you. Isn't that right? Maybe you have to water your plants. Maybe you want them to come in and check on the house or just watch over things. You're going to be gone for a little while. Whatever it might be, the reason you would give access to someone to your house is because, and by the way, she did a great job and we have left at least once or twice more and had her come on in and she just did a stupendous job and we were appreciative of that. If God is giving Satan access to heaven until midway point of the tribulation. Why would he do it if it only benefits Satan? Why would God go through the house? How many of you want Satan in your house? If you were God and Satan rebelled and took one third of the angels with you, how many of you want to hang around with him anymore? How many of you, there would be an ins you would be inspired to kick him out? Anybody would feel that way? Gone out of here. Why does God tolerate this guy? Did you ever ask yourself that question? 
Why does God tolerate Satan in heaven? And if Satan's coming, that would probably mean his, his uh, fallen angels have access to it. Why would you tolerate this? Have you ever had that in your picture? When you're picturing heaven, being up there in heaven, you know, everything's great, everything's good, people playing harps and, and uh, you know, eating grapes and living in their mansion and so forth. Have you ever pictured heaven with a, at least a section of it where Satan and some of his guys are making accusations against the kingdom, against the people in the kingdom? So if God is going to give access to Satan into heaven, there has to be a benefit to God. I can see your, your wheels are turning a little bit on that one. Haven't quite thought about that, that, that direction yet. <laughs> Why would God have access, give access to this? Well, he did apparently because this is what Micaiah said. This is what I saw. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing by. We had a song. I love the song. We learned it down at Grace Fellowship. Love the song. Had the term host of heaven in there. We had gone through the word of God and showed where the host of heaven was wrong. Uh, a bad term. And we actually wrote that out of the song and put in our own. I forget what we even changed it to. We haven't done that song in a long time. But I still like that song. Just had to change the words. I saw the Lord sitting on what? His throne. His throne. He saw this. He saw this happen. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne. Where is His throne? Got to be in heaven, right? It's on His throne. And all the hosts of heaven standing by. And on His right hand and on His left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. And apparently they weren't very good ideas. Because the Lord saw right through them. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. He did not say the Lord's. Did you see that? He did not say, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all your prophets. That would seem to be pretty critical to me. I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. His prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. How many prophets are there? 400. How many lying spirits are there? One. Isn't that interesting? We had a host of heaven, all with all kinds of ideas, but all we needed was one spirit to influence 400 prophets to speak false. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. Of yours. These are your prophets. These are not God's. 
These are yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Who authorized this mission? The Lord. Who executed it? The lion spirit. Where's the lion spirit? What kingdom would that be of? God does not have lion spirits in his kingdom, folks. He authorized someone from the foreign kingdom, the other kingdom, to become a lying spirit in the mouth of prophets that were said to be of Ahab, not of God. And these guys went out. When they spoke, how many of you get the idea from the passage that they believe they are speaking the words of God? If you have any doubt about that, let's go on to the next verse. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Chenaniah went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? Does he believe he is speaking under the inspiration of the Lord? He does. He believes he's speaking under the inspiration of the Lord. Micaiah has just called him out and says, You are speaking under the inspiration of a false prophet that is executing the plan of God to lead this man into a battle in which he will die. Now think about this. Whose idea was the battle? Ahab's. Didn't Ahab come to Jehoshaphat and say, you know, Ramoth Gilead belongs to us. Sirius still has it. How about we go up there and take it from him? Where did he get that idea? Where did the idea come from for him to go to Ramoth Gilead in the first place? He got a direction down on the inside of him. He got an idea that came up on the inside. You ought to go to Ramoth Gilead and take that thing back because thus says the Lord, the land of Israel should belong to you. Didn't the Lord say that I have given you the land from this place to this place? Hasn't the Lord granted us this land before? Hasn't the Lord said that? And that would come up? And he's got this idea to come up? And he's got his buddy there and his buddy says, how about we do this? That's fine. Let's go do it. And then uh, let's, get to, let's get the word of the Lord on this thing. And so all the prophets come in and they confirm it. They confirm it. So in order for this, pers- this, this lying spirit to execute this plan, he first had to inspire the man to do the plan. And then he had to inspire false prophets to confirm the plan. You see, when the enemy wants to get you off in a wrong direction... He first off inspires the idea for the plan on the inside of you and will pass it off as God any way that he can. And then we'll get you to confirm it and he will bring along those who will confirm the message of the idea that he sent. Now, did they ask God for direction? Well, Jehoshaphat did after, after he committed, the, committed his troops. 
He said, let's find out what the Lord says. And the false ones came in and he says, can we get one from the Lord? Can we get a genuine prophet in here? So they bring the genuine prophet in. The genuine prophet says, go, he will prosper. Why does he say that? Because he's speaking according to the plan of God and the plan of God is, I want you to go into this battle and I want you to die. That's the plan of God for Ahab's life. I want you to go into this battle and I want you to die. Hmm. But they asked for direction, didn't he? So the clarification was requested. And so Micaiah says, I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountain as sheep not having a shepherd. And they wrote it off. Well, that, that said, he's writing bad stuff about me again. And um, then he went on and he clarified it. And what God did was he laid out the entire plan that, he had, that God had to bring evil upon Ahab. Laid out the whole plan. He says, here's the plan. I've got lying spirits and they're working in the mouths of your prophets. And they are speaking lies. Here's my man. He's got the whole thing. He's seen the entire plan and he's revealing it to you right now. But I am so confident that you will still go according to the plan that I want you to follow. I can even reveal to you everything that I did and you'll still do it. And you'll still go the other direction. Because if you're trying to deceive somebody, wouldn't you not disclose this to Micaiah? Micaiah said, I saw this. Why did he see it? Because God opened his eyes. Micaiah, I want you to see something. I want you to see this is what's going on. I want you to see the whole thing unfold in heaven. And he probably said something like this to him. If anyone asks you, I want you to first tell them the words that the other prophets are saying. But if they push for it, I want you to tell them this. I want you to say to him exactly what you have seen. And I want you to hold nothing back but to let him know everything that you have seen go on here in heaven. And Micaiah does it. Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, Now look at this. If you ever... Return in peace. The Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. Well, that's going out in a limb, isn't it? He's telling you, if you return, and there is any peace about you, if you return in peace, I am a false prophet. That's what he's telling them. That's how true this is. I will stake my entire reputation, my whole occupation as a prophet. Everything I got is on this. If you return... I am false. So they said, well, go lock him up so he can't go anywhere until I come back. And then he turns to all the people and says, all you people, I want you to all realize this. You all watch this. If he returns, don't listen to me. I'm a false prophet. 
Now, I put this in your outline for you. I wanted you to get a hold of this one. Just because what I am doing is a risk or makes me uncomfortable does not mean it's God. You ever heard the people say that? Well, I have these two choices and I'm really uncomfortable about this. This must be God. I, this one over here, this is a real risk. This is the one I feel like I'm stepping out on the, on the edge for. This must be a test of my faith. This must be God. That's hogwash. Because the Lord will lead you where the peace of God is. The peace of God will be there. Now, you may be at a, at a risk, but the peace of God is still with you. You don't lose that peace of God just because you're following the direction He's given you. You ought to have that peace. If you are stepping into an area that's high risk and you're not at peace, run. Get back to what you were doing before. Do not stay with that. That is so many things that are wrong with that. They are taking a great risk here going after Syria. Great risk. But they did it even though God says, I'm not in it. I'm not in it. So a supernatural plot is revealed. He showed this a supernatural plot. Here's a supernatural plot. This is the thing. This has been hatched up in heaven. And I've released it down here. But here it is. I'm even telling you what's going on. And you're still going to go off there and do your own thing. Now, if you were here a couple of years ago and we gave you this, I could just copy this right out from the other outline and put it right in here because it's important for you to know. If we will not listen to the truth, what is false will take its place. If you will not listen to the truth, what is false will take its place. What I mean by that is this. When you ask God for direction, what should I do? And the Word of God comes to you, this is what you should do. I'm not sure that that's God. You have just set it up for the false to come in. Now they have what's true. What what has been spoken is true. They have received from God. And what did they do with it? They rejected it. Now understand this, folks. Ahab is not the only one who rejected the Word of God. Who else rejected the Word of God? Everybody's favorite king, Jehoshaphat. Is it possible for Jehoshaphat to not have rejected the word of God if he is in this battle? If God has spoken this, that you will lose this battle and the king of Israel will be killed. If God has said that and Jehoshaphat has asked for this word, Why in the world does Jehoshaphat go out in this battle? He's the one who asked for it. And we all know Jehoshaphat's got a soft spot for God, doesn't he? God loves this guy. He's a worshiper. He's done all kinds of things to rehab the land. But here he is presented with an opportunity. But he feels the pressure to go along with King Ahab. Whatever the thing is that keeps him pressure, feels pressure to do that, he, he does it. He asks for the word from God. God gives him the word, lays out the entire plan, and Jehoshaphat says, I'm going to do it anyway. The focus of the story is Ahab. But don't forget, Jehoshaphat was in the room. And he could have said, you know what? I said we're going to go, but not if God is saying this. Uh Uh-uh, we're out of here. 
You can do it, but you're going to do it on your own. I'm not going with you. So I say this again for you. If we will not listen to the truth, what is false will take its place. You've got to make sure you hang on to the truth. When God speaks the truth to you, you've got to do it. Now Ahab, when he hears the truth, how does he respond to it? I told you, he hates me. And that's what we see in the world today. Whenever you speak the word, the word of truth to anyone, they classify it as hate speech. If you speak what the Word of God says about marriage, you are a hater. If you speak the Word of God about abortion, you are a hater. If you speak the Word of God about homosexuality, you are a hater. Remember that uh, that story, the reporter who went all around the area to try and find someone who would say that they would not cater a wedding of a gay couple. And they found a pizza parlor. And they said to them, they said, would you cater a wedding? You remember, remember the story? Yeah. Would you cater a wedding for someone that is gay? Now up to this point, this little restaurant had never refused service to anyone who came in who was gay. If you came in and you were gay, they didn't say, you need to leave. They would serve you pizza. They never wrote anything about gay people. They had never done anything in marches. They were just asked the question, would you cater a gay wedding? And they said, well, my first thing was, if anyone is asking for a pizza place to cater a wedding, they ought to get something checked. That would be my first response. What kind of person asks a pizza place to cater a wedding. Have you ever been to a wedding in which the food that was served was pepperoni pizza? I have never even heard of a wedding. that was. When you are given the menu for a wedding, it is generally chicken, fish, steak, beef, something like that. Never have I seen on there, would you like pepperoni or sausage on your pizza? Never seen that. So that would be my response to them. I said, first off, they ought to get their head examined if they're in here asking us to cater a wedding. We have never been asked to cater any wedding. Any wedding. When we are finally asked to cater a wedding, maybe I'll answer your question. But get out of my restaurant. Is what I would have said to them. But they actually thought that, you know, these people, they really wanted to seek the truth on this thing. I said, I just don't know if, you know, I'd want to, I'd want to cater that and, and, you know, and be there for, for all that because it just would go against everything that we would do. You know, I'm sure they say, what happened? They pick up the pizzas and brought it themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll make them for them. Probably something like that. But because they wouldn't, they did everything they could to close that place down. I know there have been photography places that photographed weddings and they've been closed down because they refused to photo- photograph something that they, uh, they didn't like. There are thousands of others, and I think even some of these places said, look, we won't do it, but I know somebody right over here, they'll be happy to do it for you, and uh, we'll get you their information. That's not good. That's not good enough. No, no, no. We have to hate on you. We have to hate on you. Because you see, if you bring the truth to certain people, they will classify it as hate. 
We see that all the time. I've seen many a senator and representative classify people as haters. I can see this spirit all over them when they, when they speak about that. It's, it's wrong, but I understand it has gone on for a long time. Here's the king. See, I told you, he hate me. Now, I do wonder this, though. Why does Jehoshaphat ask for the Lord's counsel if he's not going to follow it? Now, you don't get very far, very far thinking about that because I know many Christians who ask God for His counsel and when He gives it to them, they don't do it. How many of you know some? Yeah. How many are saying, yeah, it's me. <laughs> it's me. You don't want to say that out loud. You just know other people. How many times have we asked God for counsel and when He gives it to us, we don't want to do it? Uh, I don't want to I don't do that. Now, false prophecy was allowed and planned. False prophecy was allowed and planned for. Deception was intended. And yet, when they asked, God revealed every bit of the deception. He revealed it. God's terrible at keeping secrets like that. Because if you ask them, are, are these folks deceiving me? They sure are. Yep. Put this in your outline for you. The people were so hardened in their heart that they chose what they wanted to believe and act upon. That's a hardness of heart. I want to do what I want to do. How many times have you gotten a direction that you wanted to go? I want to go in this direction. I want to do this particular thing. And in going for that, even if the direction from God comes contrary, no, 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 I'm going to still do this. I'm going to still do this. Verse, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 22. What if, what if God wanted to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Don't be a vessel of wrath, folks. Vessels of wrath are prepared for destruction. That He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Ahab was a vessel of wrath. Jehoshaphat was a vessel of mercy. Didn't mean Jehoshaphat was perfect, but he was a vessel of mercy. So much so that even after all this stuff, God says, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even be in this meeting. I would not even be here sending my people over here to give you word if it wasn't that Jehoshaphat was here. So the king of Israel and the Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. This tells us that first off, Jehoshaphat is not a very wise man. You have the word from God, the God that you believe in, who has sent his man to say, I am leading you into this battle because I want Ahab to die. So Ahab says, look, how um, about if you dress up like the king and I don't? Now, if you're somebody smart, you say, well, wait a minute, they're looking for you. And you say, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And Jehoshaphat, what's he say? Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll do it. I'll, wear, I'll dress up in my kingly stuff and, and you don't have to. You just go as you, however you want. And so then all the, all the battles started coming to him. 
So the king of Israel, Joshua, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to him, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. What's he saying? I only want one guy out of all this. Get the king of Israel. Now, if you have been a student of First Kings, and you've read First Kings, you will know that there have been times that God used the kings of Syria for his plan. And God actually told the king of Syria, do this. And there was a time that Elisha was told, I want you to anoint so-and-so as king of Syria. He didn't do it, but Elisha went out there and, and anointed him because he was going to be God's man to do some things. And so they anointed him. He got into, into place. And God says, must have said something to the king of Syria. I want you to leave the children of Israel alone as much as you can. Just get the king of Israel. Take him out. I mean, why else? If you were a king going to war, why else are you saying, just go after that king? Leave anybody else who looks like a king alone. Just go after that one. And his men listened to him. They were listening. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him. So Jehoshaphat is sitting up there and he's, he's watching the battle and all of a sudden a whole mess of them are coming after him. Oh no, they must think I'm the king of Israel. Huh. This isn't going to be good. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him and Jehoshaphat, cri Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. So think about this. We're at war. We're at war. Jehoshaphat is killing Syrians. And the Syrians come over. They think it's Ahab. And they say, oh, it's not. He cries out. What's he say? I'm not Ahab. I'm Jehoshaphat. Not Ahab. Oh, you're not the one we want. All right, we'll leave you alone. Who does that in a field of battle? <laughs> Who does that with an enemy king in a field of battle? Oh, you're not the guy we want. All right, we're just going to leave you here. And they all go someplace else. What's Jehoshaphat going to do? What's a king do when you're in battle? Kill Syrians. But they're going to leave him alone. Because they want to find Ahab. They're going to go find him. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck and killed the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he just says, well, I'm just going to pull this bow back and just shoot it up in the air. Goes up high up in the air and it comes down because that's how you fight these things. You shoot them up in the air. You don't shoot them straight at them. You shoot them up in the air. So when they go all the way up in the air, then when they're coming down, they gain speed and then they hit somebody. That's how they fight these things. They don't just fight shooting the arrows this way. They shoot them up in the air. And then they come down. That's the idea how they, how they fought. So somebody just pulled one back and let it go. And he just found, just happened to find the joints of the armor and got right in between. Struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to his driver, Turn around, take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was, was 
propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, every, every shout went throughout the army saying, every man to his city, every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the, ch the chariot at the pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the, harl where the harlots, or while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Now here's something I put in your outline for you I want you to get hold of. If God has given us his declaration, if God has declared to us, this is the direction I want you to go, this is the thing I want you to do, if God has given us his declaration, why are we still in negotiations? Because this is what we do. Here's, what I, here's the example I want you to see. Here's Israel. Israel is told from the... They leave Egypt. I will take you to what? I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you to a prosperous land. And I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of that land. And I am going to bring you into this land. This is going to be your land. It's going to be your land. That's what God says to them, right? He said it to Abraham. He said it to, the, to, to uh, Isaac and Jacob. He said it to the people all through there. I'm going to bring you into this land. Moses said it to him. He said it to Moses in front of the people. And how many times did they say it? I'm going to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take you there. This is the direction. And yet every time they found a problem at the Red Sea, when there was no water, when all these things were going on, every time they found a problem, they went right back into negotiations. Well, maybe we ought to find a new leader and take us back to Egypt. Maybe we ought to go back and, and, and do this. And this is what we do sometimes, folks. God has given us a direction. God has spoken to us to do something. And then as soon as we run into no water, too much water, bad water, no food, whatever it is, enemies, opposition, problems, whenever we run into them, what do we do? Uh, God, can I go back to Egypt? Can I go in another direction? Can I go someplace? Can I do something else? I'm having a hard time getting this thing done. I don't want to necessarily go this direction. Can I go someplace else? And we ask for a new direction. We'll go back into negotiations. Because if I refuse the truth that God has given me, what do I open myself up to? What is false? So I have received from God what is true. You shall do this. And then what do I do? I'm ready to receive something else because I have problems. I have opposition. I haven't shared this story with you. I know I've shared it before. I haven't shared it with a whole lot. But when I was going to King's College, I was up at the King's College, went to King's College for one year, went to King's College second year, and I was getting ready to go to King's College for the third year. I had made arrangements for King's College for the third year that, are, that were, were, had never been made before. King's College just offers a third year of Greek. I took Greek First year, I took Greek. Second year, they offer a third year Greek. No one, I was told, no one in the history of the King's College has ever signed up for a third year of Greek. But it was still on the syllabus. So I made request. I went to the, to the professor, and I said, I would like the third year of Greek. He said, you would. He was excited. He said, no one else wants it. There's not another soul in this school 
who wants a third year of Greek. You are the only one. And he said this. He said, if you really want a third year of Greek, he says, I'll do it for you as an independent study. I was going to have a one-on-one session with the professor for a third year of Greek. I was going back to run cross-country. I got a taste of the year before of cross-country camp. Oh, closest thing to heaven I had ever been to. Nothing to do but wake up in the morning and run and then eat and then run again and then eat some more and then just relax and get ready for the next day of running. We ran over, well, I ran over 100 miles in my first week of cross-country. No one else did. Not a single other person came close to running 100 miles in the week of cross-country camp. But I did. And I wanted more. But there was no one else who would go along with me. I was looking forward to third, third year. I'm going back to cross-country camp. I get to go a week early and do nothing but run and eat. That's all I have to do. This is heaven. And I ran to get ready for it. I ran more miles that summer than I had ever run any summer in my life. I was prime. I was ready. I was faster. I was in even better shape than I was the year before. And in August of that year, I was praying, seeking after the Lord, like I always did, and the job that I had allowed me to do a lot of time on that. And the Lord, my, my, my parents had found Raymond Bible Training Center for me. I'd never heard of the place before. They'd found this thing. They said, you might want to consider this instead of seminary. I looked at it and said, well, I might want to do that. Never heard of Brother Hagin. Never heard anything about it. But then as I pondered it and this came up in my spirit, you need to go to Raymond now. But I'm all, I'm all set to go to King's. I'm all set to go to King's College. I've got third year of Greek. I've got cross-country camp coming up. God says, time to go to Raymond. And so I revealed it to my parents and they said, well, let's see what we can do. And um, my dad counseled me, pulled me aside and says, you know, if you, if you leave, you're, not going, you're probably not going to go back. I says, I know. But this is what the Lord has told me to do. So we made arrangements and um, enrollment had, I think, closed or pretty close to closing. So we had to kind of rush some things together and send it on down there and we're calling up on the phone. Is everything okay? Are we accepted? And then finally we got the news that we were accepted and it was about two weeks before I was supposed to be there. I got to close out the job that I'm at. I got to do all these different things. And so we got a plane ticket. My dad knew somebody who knew somebody out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We didn't know anybody out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My dad knew somebody who knew somebody out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so we got in contact with them, and they were going to meet me at the airport and let me stay at their house. So I was going to stay at the house of somebody I'd never met before, didn't know. My parents didn't really know them until I found a place that I could find as an apartment. Found a place that was to be in an apartment without uh, too, too much time and found a roommate. That roommate was uh, turned out to be ungodly and did a lot of things that were made the atmosphere in the home very, very uh, unsavory. But I sought after God for the direction of the job, found the job I was supposed to get, uh, only applied to one place for a job, only one place, and took me three days until I finally landed that job, got that job, and, and worked at that job. And I went on at this place. Now, how many, it was a lot of supernatural stuff. I'm, I'm skipping by a lot of the stuff, but a lot of supernatural stuff happened to cause this thing to happen. And so we got this thing going. I'm out there at Rama. I got a roommate I don't know. In a city, I don't know. In a place, I don't know. 
I had no friends. I had no acquaintances. I walked away from every friend, every acquaintance, every place, everything that I knew and headed on out into this, into this city. And I'm sitting out there and, and the job wasn't going that well. I know God led me to this job, but this job was just, I mean, there were some parts of it were fun, but there were drug deals going on. There was immorality happening around the restaurant. I didn't like being around all this sort of stuff. This was wearing on me. Going to home, the, the roommate was, un, was unsavory doing some things that uh, just weren't right, bringing his girlfriend over and taking over the place. And it just, it was, it was not good. I'm getting discouraged there. I'm getting, in Rhema, I'm learning stuff. I had to sit through classes that I already graduated from, from King's College. And King's College was at a much higher level teaching than what Rhema was doing in this thing. I said, well, this is easy. I don't even need to study for these things. I just can put the answers down. I got all the, I know all these answers. <laughs> I'm getting discouraged. And I'm thinking, but you see, if you reject the truth, if you reject the truth, what is false will take its place. And so I'm thinking, and I'm almost making plans for it, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home at Christmas and not come back. I'm just going to quit down here at Ramah. I'm just, it's, it's not benefiting me a whole lot. I don't see any, any, uh, any good advantage. I don't really know anybody. don't have a car to get around. need a lot more of that to, to get around. It was very discouraging. The job was, was tough. School was tough because it wasn't challenging me. So I came to this spot and I said, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to go home at Christmas and I'm just not going to come back. I could pack all my stuff up in the suitcase and, and that would be it. But you see, the word of God was came to me, it's time to go to Ramah. See, if I reject that truth, what is false will take its place. But you see, that word I got from God, it didn't tell me, you're going to go to Ramah, you've got to have a job that's going to be tough at first, but after a while, you're going to love this job. You're going to go to the school, that's, you're going to think it's not teaching you anything at first, but after a while, you're going to, you're going to love your experience there. You're going to meet some people Eventually, not in the beginning, but you're going to eventually meet some people that are going to be very instrumental in your life. And your life will be shaped for the future because of the years you will spend down there. Now, if he would have said all that to me, I could have handled it a whole lot better, right? But what does the Lord say? Time to go to Raymond. What do you tell the children of Israel? I'm going to lead you to the promised land. He didn't tell them he was going to overcome water issues. He didn't tell them he was going to overcome food issues. He didn't tell him he's overcome, overcome enemies' issues. He didn't tell him any of that stuff. What he told him is, I'm going to take you over here. And what was Israel supposed to do with that? They were supposed to hang on to it. They didn't hang on to it. They didn't do it. And folks, that's what we do as, as Christians. We keep entering into negotiations. I've got the word from God. God told me I, w- I am to do this. But we keep wanting to enter into negotiations and renegotiate where we're going. I didn't realize I was going to face all this stuff. I didn't realize all this was going to be here. When God gives you direction, know that opposition will come. It will come. But that's all right. Because whenever God has given you direction, we can pick on the disciples all we want. When he said, let us go to the other side, he didn't say, let us go through the storm and get to the other side. 
he said, let us go to the other side. When they encountered the storm, they were supposed to have faith to overcome. You see, they asked for direction, and they got it. The children of Israel asked for direction, and they got it. Jehoshaphat asked for direction, and he got it. But if you will not keep the truth that God has spoken to you in front of you, what is a lie will be its replacement. I put in your outline this. Many will ask, are willing to ask for counsel, but few will follow what they don't like. Few will follow what they don't like. I'll tell you what, so much more on this I can get into. We'll have to overflow some of this into next week. But let me give you this part. My willingness to hear what is hard, my willingness to hear what is hard will, will remove me from my many difficult situations. My willingness to hear what is hard or what is difficult to hear will remove me from many difficult situations. If you are willing to hear what God has to say, the difficult situations you are in, it is far easier to guide you through them. It is far easier for God to lead you through them. If you will refuse or question or call into and uh, Well, I, I need more direction on that. Father God, I know you gave me direction on what I was supposed to do here, but I need more direction on that. I almost forgot to tell you this. And I wrote down something for, during worship, and I'm not going to get to that. But unfortunately, I wrote it down. So we'll get into it again later on. But oh, I'll tell you what. It's, let's all stand up. Maybe we'll get into that later. Don't be willing to let go of whatever God has, has told you. Here's what I want you to get for, for our ending here. This is so important. Whenever God speaks a word of direction to you, what God has given you is complete and lacking nothing. Whatever He spoke to you about the direction that you are supposed to take Whatever he said, and God is, is the master at short speech. He is the master of it. Whatever he has said to you is all you need to overcome everything that you face. The reason you're having difficulty with the things you are facing is because you are not getting all that you are supposed to from what he said. Therefore, you want something new. You want something more. You want him to elaborate more. What God wants is for you to be able to take what he says and develop the maturity that no matter what comes against you, you will not doubt his plan. You will not doubt his direction. You will not doubt his word. And whatever rises up against the word of God that came to you, you will put it down without needing anything else from God. When God sees that, you get God's attention. And God says, did you, did you see this one? Have you seen what they're able to do with what I gave them? Oh, this is good. This is good. 
And if I don't stop here, we're going to launch, launch into the next part. So much more on this. Whatever God has spoken to you is all that you need. The one who is telling you it's not is not someone from his camp. Don't listen to a lying spirit who would come to you to tell you that you need something more, something different, or something in addition to. Because what you have is all you need. But what God is looking for is for people who will take what they heard and hang on to it in the face of opposition, in the face of pressure. And not come to God and ask Him again. But go to God and say, Father God, I asked you for direction and you gave it to me. And what you gave me is all I need. I thank you for what you gave me. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to each one of us. Some of those words you've spoken to us are general words that are in your word. Some of them are specific for our life, things we're supposed to do. And Father, we will not allow the enemy to challenge those things that you have spoken to us, but we will hang on to them for what you have said you intend to do. What you have spoken, you will bring about. I thank you, Father, for it. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Well, we got more on this. We'll pick it up some more in the, in the next week. You know what happens next week? We should have some visitors out here next week. We don't know how many. But we're going to be ready for them when they come, right? A couple of praise reports. Susan said, I've been overwhelmed at work last week. The director of training took a rather large recurring task over from me. Praise God for someone lightening the workload. <laughs> Ray needs a prayer today. He has a, uh, said some pain going on in his left, left knee. Oh, thank you. Another praise report. I am being inducted into the National Honor Society this afternoon at 2 p.m. I give praise to God for selecting me. Amen. Um, praise. You always throw me when you throw me out that name. I'm looking at that. It's, it's going to be one of them, the, the name we don't go by. I know it. It's going to be. <laughs> I know where it's praise. Yeah. All right. Praise. I am being inducted into the National Honor Society this afternoon at 2 p.m. I give praise to God for selecting me. Amen. Not only that, but she worked hard. <laughs> Kenny and Bobby sent a thank you note. I want to thank everyone for your prayers, phone calls, and encouragement as we went through the ordeal. Uh, once again, I'm so, so blessed to be in a wonderful church that has such loving brothers and sisters. <laughs> and the best pastor ever. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby is coming along. He is hoping to be here next week. Glory to God. So I'll leave that out for you that you can, you can see it. Praise God. What we got to, to let everybody know about coming up? Got some things? All right. Grab a microphone. Let's pray for Ray here today. Father God, I thank you for the faith that is in Ray, that you just feed that faith with the Word of God and renew him on what your Word of God said. And I thank you, Father, that no pain, no, no discomfort will continue to go on in that body. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for the things you're doing and changing and the direction that you're giving him to overcome all these things in his life. In Jesus' name.
Amen. We got a mic deck back here. I'm good. Hi, hi, hi. Yes, so next Sunday is our first of the visiting Sundays, the 12th and the 19th. What I want to put out to y'all right now, um, first of all, let me, let me say again one more time. There is no one, zero, not a single person, no child registered for Christmas gifts yet. My wonderful, loving, caring husband asked me today, or a couple days ago, how many do we have? And I was like... I told you, no one is registered until they come into our doors from Zo- or for Zoe, the 12th or the 19th. Those are the dates. I spent about five and a half days last year doing nothing but shopping. And for a woman to say, I am sick of shopping, <laughs> you know it was bad. I'm not doing that again this year. So we are not elongating it. If they can't make it the 12th, they can't make it the 19th. They know those are the specifications that have been set out for them. Um, they've, those that have agreed have agreed. Now, that being said, I've had over 55 some odd requests for gifts for children. Now, that's not 55 children. That's 55 requests. On average, these families are averaging about three kids per family. Some are one and two. Some are four, five, and six. Average of three. If 25 of them met the qualifications which that's roughly what it looks like they're coming out to, and we get a 10% incident rate of them showing up, that's a lot of kids. <laughs> that's a lot of children. Now, this, this year in particular, um, because we've set specifications, I have not asked for causality of anything. I've said you must live within certain distance. You must agree to come here. You must agree to come to game night um, and send us a picture for Christmas Day. I have not said, and tell me why you, you need. That's not, I've not done that. They have been very forthcoming with their stories. We've got everything from um, one parent is incarcerated, some have passed on. We've got some, one in particular who I was like bawling, you know me, I cry a lot. Um, uh, Older sons are actually living with grandmom and grandpa because older daughter had um, massive surgery done on her spine and legs. So mom had to quit her job to stay home with daughter and rehabilitate her. And she's only got one leg down. There's still another one to, to, to do. So there's a lot of different stories, a lot of single parents. Um, ages from birth all the way on up. Now, again, we've got, we, we are allowing birth to ages 18 as children. They're still living in the home. They're not off to college or the potential for college. They're, they fall under that category. Um, I did put it out on my personal Facebook page. I got a lot of people that are already like, give me kids. <laughs> I will, I will volunteer. I will sponsor kids. Please be in prayer about how, how and if you can participate in that. If you wanted to say, hey, here's some dollars, you do the shopping, I will still love you. <laughs> Even though the shopping was a lot, I will still love you. Or if you say, I want to take a child, we're requesting three to five gifts per child. However that is. Um, however you want to divvy it up financially. I don't put a financial number on it. There's a lot of great sales. I know we've got some sales shoppers. You can buy $100 worth of stuff for 20 if you're a really great shopper. So there is no monetary thing. We just want each children to have something to open Christmas morning. Again, we're sending them home. They're not opening them here. We don't get to see the joy on their faces personally, but that is why we're asking parents to send us pictures from Christmas Day. It kind of reminds them that, oh yeah, hey, this is also, don't forget the church that gave it all this other stuff. Um, please, 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 please be in prayer this week, y'all. 
every every year we've done this, I've had people writing me up until I walk in the doors to the day they receive their gifts. My car just broke down. I don't obviously they're they're in need. I don't have the money to replace this tire. I don't have the money for the bus fare. I don't have. I don't have. I can't. I can't. I can't. I got offered a job or to pick up a shift. I need the money. I have to go. Please be in prayer that whatever the enemy has to try to dissuade these people from coming, that's thwarted out the box. That's not even an option. That they, if they set their mind to come, they they get here. Um, I might call some of y'all and say, hey, you're coming from Horsham. Can you swing by this street and pick up a family? Be prepared because I love you all and you all love me and we can do this. (laughs) But they're all, one of the specifications is they must be in 12 miles from the church. All of us, some of us, we we got all kinds of people coming from all over the places. But if that does happen... Um, be open-minded. If you've got the space in a car, if we need extra hands, extra bodies, I might reach out to you. Um, I'm trying to think. December 9th, game night. Please be in prayer about that as well. <laughs> All kinds of stuff can happen when you get competitive spirits going and lots of different personalities in one big room. We want it to be smooth. We want to be a light. We want to, we want them to remember us in a good way. Thank you to everybody who came and helped at work day. That was kind of awesome. We do have a couple more things I'll be doing throughout the week. That's that. Do we want to pray? As, as a ch- oh yeah okay there's that so again any questions anything else you're not sure of let me know if you want to um again we don't know how many kids we have but if you want to to um say you have an organization your work boy scouts your child's homeroom whatever it is that you think might want to sponsor a child or two as well we can totally welcome that in let me know that way i know how many kids we can actually divvy up and and work with all right Got so wrapped up in the end of the service, I forgot to go back over to the communion. Corey was kind enough to remind me in the back. I appreciate that. Ushers, come on. It will take us less time to do communion than it will for them to tear this apart and set it up again. Appreciate you all hanging with me a little longer. As the ushers are going around distributing the elements. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, handed over to the Jewish rulers, he went up to the upper room, and before supper began, he broke the bread, and he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you eat this bread, we are to remember the body of Jesus Christ. Because it's so easy for us to forget that Jesus Christ not only died on the cross for our sins, but his body was beaten so that we would be free from sickness and disease. That he took the curse of the law and put it upon him. There was nothing in the beating of his body that changed the forgiveness of sins. That was by the giving of his life, his spiritual life. Sorry about that. Not his physical life. But when he died spiritually, he had a spiritual life to sacrifice and to give. So we eat this together. Let's remember that on his body he was beaten. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Just as with forgiveness, there's nothing we need to add what was done in his body was all we need for sickness and disease to be gone from us. Let's eat together. 
and let's remember the body of Jesus Christ. After the supper, I always like to remind you there's a whole meal in between which separated these two things. After supper, he took the cup. He says, this represents the blood of the new covenant. Under the old covenant, the blood was constantly shed. Under the new covenant, it was done once. And his blood washed us clean. We are free from sin. But it also paid the price. As we drink together, Let's remember what Jesus Christ did with shedding his blood on the cross is all we need for forgiveness. I don't need penance. I don't need remorse. I don't need to add anything to it. I just need to receive the forgiveness that he's given us. Let's receive that. Be mindful of it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. As we pray as we are on our way to go. Some of you folks are around Boyd, around Boyd over there. Lay hands on him. Dietrich is asking for prayer for, for him, for his hand. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus, Father God, I thank you for the power of God that is upon us. And as we lay hands on him right now, that power, Father God, which flows from them into, into Boyd, in the name of Jesus, restoration is made for whatever is going on in that hand. Now, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for it. We give you the glory and the honor for it. Hallelujah. Father, as we go this week, I thank you that your spirit goes with us and your peace goes with us. And whatever words you have spoken, we want to renew ourselves on them. Not keep asking for something new, but to follow what we know. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get more into this series too, we're going to, we're probably not going to be next week where we're talking about that Jesus Christ paid the price for sickness and disease. What do we do about injuries? Where do they come in line with that? So we'll be getting into those down the, down the, load, down the road, helping you out with that. End times classes today at uh, 1 o'clock since we're getting out here late. If you all want to be back a little bit later than that, that's fine. Just tell me on, the, on your way to the door. If you're not going to stay, Usually do, but not going to stay. Let me know that too on your way out. We are in Revelation 16 and the 